Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. We thank God for the sweet, sweet spirit that is in this place. And I know that it is the presence of the Lord that makes all the difference in the world. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing this series uh, on reclaiming your joy, reclaiming your joy. And we have uh, defined this subject of joy uh, by the words of William James Jennings. He says that joy is an act of resistance against despair and all of its forces, that despair wants to drive us to an early grave. Uh, but God has given us uh, joy in the person of Jesus Christ that we can resist that. And so we've been talking about reclaiming your joy. And today I want to hang as a title, The Joy of the Redeemed. The Joy of the Redeemed. God's ultimate desire is for his children to experience a deep, profound, and everlasting joy. Uh, before, but before I begin getting into the passage, I have uh, some confessions to make. And, you know, they say confession is good for the soul. And we should confess our sins to one another. And uh, I trust everybody in this congregation, so I'm just going to come clean. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, during the course of this pandemic and COVID, I've often found myself in search of joy. Something to do something that would make me forget about COVID for the moment or at least not get fixated on it. I searched for joy in comfort foods. I hope I'm not alone on that one. <laughs> foods like ice cream, chocolate chip cookies, and oh, my favorite, Oreo cookies. Amen. <laughs> Bluebell ice cream and chocolate milkshakes. During this pandemic, I, I took indulgence to a whole nother level. I've had to often go to the altar of daily workouts <laughs> and strength training to burn off the sugar. I've often found myself overdosing on milkshakes only to find that the joy that comfort foods give me is short-lived. One example of this search was watching Game Show Network and being entertained by Steve Harvey as he jokingly interacted with families who were competing for the grand prize with one another only to find that the joy that Family Feud gave me was a momentary joy. There have been times that I've had to laugh to keep from crying. Perhaps during this pandemic, like me, you have often felt like you've been overtaken by despair, depression, grief, and sadness. But this passage reminds us that God has a better grip on us than we have on him. 
Paul says that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. In other words, that God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't throw in the towel on us. And so even during this pandemic, no doubt it has caused a sense of disorientation. God wants to reorient us and give us a new orientation as we walk with him on this journey we call faith. Perhaps like me, you felt the need to be hugged and to hear someone say to you and look you in the eyes, we're going to get through this, Aaron. I've often found myself searching for joy in all the wrong places. Uh, Eugene Peterson said it best when talking about joy. He said the effects of searching for joy are extremely temporary. A few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged." Unquote. So I, admit, I submit to you today that as followers of Christ, we have a joy that the world knows nothing about. We have a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. It's a joy that can't be bought or discovered in a laboratory. It's a joy that comes to us by way of a deep relationship with the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so in our passage today, the prophet Isaiah reminds us that God is coming, and as a matter of fact, he's already here. He reminds us that there will be a better day. He reminds us that he is our redeemer and that he's a turnaround agent, that God can make all things new, that he can turn your desert and your wilderness into a garden. If only we would trust in him, and as the old songwriter says, hold to his hands, God's unchanging hands, that even as things in the world are in flux and things changes, things change, God reminds us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So for a few moments, I would like to talk about this, this coming of the Redeemer. God transforms nature, this presence of the Redeemer, and the joy of the Redeemer. Let us look at verse, verses 1 and 2, where we see this beautiful poetic prose, prose and imagery of, of the glory of God manifesting itself in creation. He says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel 
and sharing. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, chapter 35 and chapter 34, chapter 34 talks about uh, judgment on those who don't trust the Lord. And chapter 35 talks about those who trust in God, uh, that God will turn their wilderness and their dry situations and that it will be transformed into a garden. It will blossom. That God is the divine horticulturalist of our souls. That he will change our environment. But it also points to a greater reality that, as Paul reminds us in Romans 8, that the, the environment, the world, the earth is groaning. Creation is groaning for Jesus to come back and to make all things new again. And so Isaiah has this in mind. Now Isaiah is, has been considered by many theologians to be the fifth gospel. Uh, in addition to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Isaiah has more allusions to Jesus Christ uh, that he's always pointing to this Messiah, this suffering servant, this one who will transform us, who will change us and change the environment that we live in. So God will turn things around. He will turn our weeping and our sadness into gladness. So this coming of the Redeemer, God manifests himself in nature. And I like what St. Augustine said. He said, God wrote two books. He wrote the Bible and he wrote nature. And it's so important that we read both. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. And so we must also be good students of this environment that we live in, that God is speaking to us. And even uh, Jesus alludes to this when he says, consider the lilies of the field that even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of them. And so here we see in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 35, God manifesting himself in nature and transforming nature itself. But it's, this is also a figure of speech that points to the reality that wherever God is, there's change. Wherever God shows up, things don't stay the same. And when God makes his glory uh, manifest, it make it, makes it known, things will change in our lives. Will change in our environment, will change in our homes when we become increasingly aware of God's glory. And what it says here, that it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. He's talking about nature, that the trees will clap glad hands. Jesus says that if, if we don't worship the Lord, that the stones will cry out. And so we, hear, we see this, this imagery here where he talks about Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon, that these were the most fertile parts of Palestine. Uh, Israel was a land, as one writer says, in stark contrast. Arid regions barely grew, grew scrubs. 
while Sharon bore rich crops. And Lebanon was famed for its huge cedars. And so Isaiah uses this, this imagery to, to talk about the glory of God. And that this Redeemer, that God is a Redeemer, that he's coming, that redemption has been accomplished and applied, first of all, to the crowning glory of God's creation, which is humanity. But also, redemption will be accomplished and applied in nat nature, that whatever was lost in the Garden of Eden will be restored in the book of Revelation. That in the Garden of Eden, man lost, was, in, was out of touch with himself because of sin. Uh, because of man's sin in the Garden of Eden, uh, the lion could not lay down with the lamb anymore. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, because of Adam and Eve's sin, uh, Adam didn't understand his wife anymore. And God wants to restore that. He wants to bring about a new creation. And so even though Isaiah 35 doesn't talk about in explicit terms of this new creation, it is definitely implied. So we see, brothers and sisters, the, the coming of the Redeemer in verses 1 and 2. But then in verse 3 and 4, and we'll go on to 5 and 6 as well, he says, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and then the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The hunt of jackals shall become a swamp, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. What well, some powerful imagery, some powerful words uh, that Isaiah uses in poetic form to explain uh, the presence of God in our lives, the presence of God in the world, the presence of the Redeemer, that God wants to transform the weak and the blind. He wants to transform those who admit that they have a need in God, that they need God, that they can't make it without God. But also it says something to, to those of us who are redeemed. He's saying, act like you're redeemed. Act like you have hope. Act like you have joy. Now, I know that there are times in our lives that we don't feel redeemed. We don't feel like we have joy. And, and sometimes God has to stir it up like a bowl of soup where all of the good stuff is at the bottom of the bowl, that God has to stir up the joy within us. 
And God has to take his Jehovistic spoon and, and stir us up to remind us that there's a joy that's deep, deep down in our hearts that we have to stir up. And so look at what he says here to those of us who are redeemed. He says, act redeemed. He says, strengthen the weak hands. Encourage somebody. Don't, don't judge them, but strengthen them. Encourage them. Help them up. Don't tear them down. As Christians, we are all under construction, and we shouldn't be tearing anybody down. We should be building people up. So he says, strengthen the weak hands and make the firm, make firm the feeble knees. There are times in our lives, brothers and sisters, that we need somebody to come around us who are going to encourage us, who are going to pray for us when we don't feel like praying for ourselves, who are going to read the Bible to us when we don't feel like reading ourselves. But don't judge those who are weak. You don't know what they've been through. Don't judge the, the feeble needs. But he says, say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong. Do not fear. Encourage them. Speak life into them. Speak encouragement because James reminds us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. God forbid. For those of us who have been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light, that God has given us a tongue to speak life into others, to build people up. Who are we to tear someone down who God is building up? Look at what he says here. Here is your God. Say to them, God is here. He will come with vengeance. With terrible recompense, he will come and save you. He said, in other words, don't, don't try to uh, fight. Don't try to fight someone. God says, when you are redeemed, I assume the responsibility of standing in the gap. I assume the responsibility of, of fighting your battles. I assume the responsibility uh, of walking with you and guiding you and protecting you from danger seen and unseen. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. This is what he's talking to, saying to to the children of Israel and, and, and also he's saying to us in this day and age that we've got to act like we are redeemed. We have to have redeemed behavior. We've been bought with a price. God has given us a new heart. He's given us a new disposition. He's given us a new mind. So we have to behave in a way that is indicative of the redemption that has been accomplished and applied to our human, human souls, to our hearts and minds. Then he says in verse 5 and 6, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. That's a constant theme in in chapter 35 where Isaiah talks about singing. He continues to use this word singing for joy. And as Christians, we are people who should love to sing. Uh, we are people who 
should sing for joy. Every Sunday we come here and we sing, sing the songs of Zion and contemporary songs to remind us uh, who we are in God and who God is in us. To remind us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We are, God, we, we are to sing songs of joy because as, as Christians we are a singing people. And you know, I would, I would like to think, you know, as Martin Luther said that, he said that music and singing should not be relegated to the choir. It should not be relegated to the praise team. But it's, it's something that should be made available to all common people. He's saying lay people that we all should be singing. And so when we sing congregationally, it, it's because uh, we are Rehearsing, as, as David said earlier today, that we are rehearsing because when we get to heaven, we're going to really sing. And you can't be saying, I'm Presbyterian, so I don't sing a whole lot. <laughs> amen, somebody. You can't be saying, I don't say amen because everybody's going to be saying amen in heaven. <laughs> amen. I had someone share with me a, a couple of months ago. They said, Reverend Williams, you know, I, you know, I was raised as a Presbyterian, and, uh, and I was taught to be quiet in church. And, and the person said to me, even, you know, even though uh, I'm not saying amen, I'm screaming amen in my heart. <laughs> amen, somebody. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. God wants to bring about a transformation, a change in our hearts, in our souls, and in our minds, and we must be caught up in the rapture of God's joy. And here, you know, one, one writer, Phyllis McGinley, said that, and I love these words, he says, I've, I've read that during the process of canonization, the Catholic Church demands proof of joy in the candidate. And although I have not been able to track down chapter and verse, I like the suggestion that doorness is not a sacred attribute. In other words, you know, can you imagine, you know, uh, you go through confirmation classes and they want to they ask you, can you give me proof of your joy? Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we don't, that, that we don't have this requirement of proof of joy, but we do know that the, as, as the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. So if, you, if, we, if we can't enjoy God down here, then there's nothing but singing and worshiping in heaven. So we're rehearsing down here as we prepare for that greater reality, amen? But here's, here's the thing, he, he says, sing for joy. In verse 10, he says, come to Zion with singing. There are two comings in this passage, and there's the, the coming of the Lord, but there is the coming of the people of God to church, or the coming of the people of God to Zion. So this was a regular rhythm in Judaism. It was a regular rhythm that they, they came to Zion with singing and everlasting joy. But there will come a day, as chapter 35 tells us, that we will have unfettered access to the throne of God. 
that we will have unfettered access and that there will be singing and worshiping all around heaven. And God, we will, we will have everlasting joy and it shall be upon their heads. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, there's this, there's this, this concept here of the, the highway, that the highway shall, shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. Now, this is not the typical highway that we think of today in terms of I-5 or I-20 or 405. This, this is a highway that was often uh, a dirt road. It was often a place uh, where Sometimes there would be predators on this road, and it was from one place to another, from temple to temple, and, and in this, on this highway, brothers and sisters, there was, in ancient times, certain roads between these destinations, and, and if someone was ceremonially uh, pure, they could walk this highway, but if they were unpure, they could not walk this particular highway. But here, the highway is a path on which God's holy ones proceed from the land of bondage to the promised land. And Isaiah uses this figure of speech that God has made this highway available to all who would come to him, who would trust in him, that God has given us access to this highway. You don't have to pay a, a toll on this highway because it's been made available to you through Jesus Christ. You don't have to get on the HOV lane on this highway because Jesus has paved the way for you to have direct access to Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about the, a lion on this highway because God has protected you on this highway. There will be no lions. There will be no thieves. But this highway has been made available to you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is the, the coming of the Redeemer, and there is the, the, the presence of the Redeemer, that God's presence makes all the difference in the world. That even though sometimes you don't feel him, you can trust the fact that God is there. I had a young lady uh, one that I'd known for quite some time, and she needed to speak with me. She, she was, it, was, it was an urgent matter. She sent my, my wife a message and said, can I talk to Pastor Williams? I need to talk with him. I have some pressing issues going on, and I need somebody who's going to listen to me. So I called her, and she said, Pastor Aaron, I just feel like I'm under attack. I feel like it's spiritual warfare. My marriage is being attacked. I'm being attacked on my job. I'm, uh, even people in my neighborhood are attacking me. And I just listened to her for a little while. And I told her, I said, certainly you're going through a lot, but I want you to know that God has a, has a better hold on you than you have on him. And God will carry you when you can't carry yourself. God will protect you from danger seen and unseen. All you got to do is hold to God's unchanging hand. And I, I listened to her for over 30 minutes, and then we began to pray. I began to bathe her in prayer and to let her know that even though you don't feel God's presence, he is there, he is not silent. 
And there may be somebody here today, you, you don't feel like God is there, but your faith is not based on your feelings. Your faith is based on spiritual facts that God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so whenever your feelings kick, kick, kick in, remind your feelings of what your faith tells you or what God has said in his word. Amen? This is what Isaiah is saying to the children of Israel. He's saying to them, a better day is coming. The, the king is coming. God is on his way. That he is there. He says, in the meantime, I want you to keep singing. In the meantime, I want you to keep singing the songs of Zion. In the meantime, I, I want you to understand that, you, that each and every one of us, as one writer said, that you ought to have your own theme song as a Christian. You know, you ought to have a song that whenever you feel a sense of despair, you can sing that song and it will pull you out of your despair. You ought to have your own playlist. There's some go-to songs that you go to, and, and those songs will get, get you in the spirit of joy and, and focusing on Jesus Christ. Because if we focus on sideshows in our lives, and not keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, we will get depressed. We will, uh, we will be in a spirit of despair. We, we will feel like the world is against us, but we have to remind ourselves through Scripture of the bigness of God, that God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or even think. You know, my grandmother, had a theme song. She would sing it around the house. I will trust in the Lord. I, I will trust in the Lord until I die. I'm going to stay on the battlefield. I can hear her singing it now until I die. I'm going to stay on bended knee until I die. She had a theme song. Miss Hattie Abney, she was a member of our church and she would sing the song, We Are Marching to Zion. That beautiful Zion, that beautiful city of God. Let those who refuse to sing, who never knew our God, she said that we are marching to Zion. She would sing that song every Sunday, and, and that was her song. She didn't want anybody else singing that song. That was Miss Hattie Abney's song. All of us should have a theme song that we should have it on our phone that whenever the devil tries to get us in a spirit of despair, we've got to sing that song, play that playlist, and get ourselves out of this, this depression. And here, Isaiah tells, tells, tells us that we should be a singing people, that we are to sing in Zion. But also there's a sense where he talks about joy overtaking us, that we will be overtaken by joy. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've been overtaken by joy. I can be singing in my car and forget that I'm on the highway. I'm just overtaken by joy. There have been times in my home that I, I think of the goodness of God and all that God has done for me that I'm overtaken by joy. And, and brothers and sisters, that's one way we resist this despair because sometimes despair will overtake you and you will have a pity party and you don't need a pity party. You need a Holy Ghost party. There, there are 
are times where that despair and depression will overtake you and you need somebody to speak life into you and remind you of the goodness of God. This is what Isaiah is saying, saying to us in this beautiful, beautiful poetic declaration of God's glory in our lives. Verse 10, he says, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a beautiful expression, brothers and sisters. And I just want to encourage you today to don't be overtaken by despair. Don't be overtaken by depression. But when you start focusing on Jesus Christ and his goodness and how good he has been to you, maybe you will sing one of those songs of Zion like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, to save the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Maybe you, maybe you will sing uh, the, the song that we sung earlier, how great thou art, that we sing. Maybe you will sing the doxology that you, you think about the goodness of God. Maybe you will sing one of those songs that pulls you out of your despair and remind us of the goodness of Jesus Christ. God wants us to walk with him and to walk by faith. The Christian life is often defined as a walk as well, that Moses had to walk by faith, that Abraham had to walk by faith, and those who are in the Faith Hall of Fame had to walk by faith, and so do we in this 21st century. And most importantly, we are called to walk with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this joy that we have in Jesus Christ, the joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. And Father, maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or on the internet or on the radio, dear God, who needs to know that you're willing to hug them right now and let them know that they're going to get through this. Father, I pray that you will make it crystal clear to them today that they need Jesus. And Jesus has made, given them access, a highway to come to him. So, Lord, would you touch right now? Would you heal right now? Would you restore right now, Lord God? Will you draw some man, woman, boy, or girl to yourself that they will know the Savior for themselves? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.